So for labour and birth, definitely if you envision a cave, like what animals do, they take themselves away to a dark, safe place to protect themselves from predators. That's what women do as well. So in the space, making sure that you've got access to block out curtains or blinds to make the space really cave-like, like a big hug, but really safe. You're listening to The Well Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's menstrual cycle educator, natural fertility coach, and daytime mermaid. This is a place where we discuss all things periods, poo, ovulation, fertility, and sex. Join me weekly as we rediscover our menstrual cycles, unlock its superpowers, and guide you back into your cyclical nature. Welcome back to the Well Woman Podcast. This is episode 249 and it's part of our pregnancy series. This is episode nine in the series and we are talking all about home birthing and preparing for a home birth with Michelle Palacia. And I'm very excited that she's here to share this with us because she is a beautiful birth keeper. She's worked in the birth space for many, many years as a birth photographer, a doula, and now as a birth keeper. And she's supported hospital births, home births, and free births. And through this, she has witnessed the very big differences that come with that experience and how to truly support couples and women in birthing. She is a gatekeeper of sacred birth space. She trusts in women, the womb to womb connection, and you are going to discover this passion of hers through this particular episode. So we are chatting all about what is the difference between free birthing and home birthing, how we can actually prepare for a home birth and what that looks like. And well beyond the physical space practice, we're talking about emotional and energetic preparation. We're talking about relationship preparation and lots more. We do also touch on how you can physically prepare for home birth, what you need in the birth space, what you don't need in the birth space and everything in between. Michelle, it has been a long time coming and I'm so grateful that we have met and finally are here because when women work in the birth space, they are on call all the time. All the time. But thank you for finally arriving with me here to talk about preparing for home birth. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your patience and your understanding in the work that I do and that babies baby when they're going to baby and birth happens. So thank you. And thank you for inviting me on. Thank you so You're- much. I'm so excited for this chat. You're worth it. Like you're so worth it, literally. And I'm really excited too. I've already shared in like the intro a little bit more about who you are, but I met you through my beautiful friend, Amber, who most people who listen to the show know about anyway, you were her amazing home birth support and you were my first point of call for birth support. But unfortunately we live too far apart for that to be possible. So I'm really glad that we get to share today about how we can prepare for that and what that might look like and all the things. So before we go there, tell us, how did you become this amazing, vulnerable, raw, real, honest, transparent birth worker? Mm, Thank you so much. So I started working in the birth space. I've always had this mind-blowing sort of look at birth, even growing up through high school and everything. My favourite subject was art and all of the artwork that I did revolved around the womb and pregnancy and I was always just like, 
why aren't more people talking about this? Like women grow humans, like what? I didn't have I didn't have a calling to become a midwife at all. I actually stepped into the birth space a bit later in life, in inverted commas, later in life, and became a birth photographer. I think it was now maybe eight years ago, nine years ago. So I started doing that because I was doing some photography and then realised birth photography is a thing. So I actually did some training with Lacey Barrett in Melbourne and became a birth photographer and stepped in that way. I really felt, though, when I would deliver albums of photos to families, I was always left wondering how they were. How are they? How are they feeling? How are they recovering? And, of course, as a photographer, that would have been really creepy, sort of stepping in and going, how are you going? Like, no, that wasn't going to happen. So I was like, I sort of I found out about doulas. <laughs> and I did my doula training with Angela Gallo, and that just expanded me to another level. I did a week of intense in-person training with her. And so I became a doula and I started attending births. So at the beginning, I was attending hospital births, all births, uh, home birth. Hadn't attended any free births, but hospital and home birth. And then I attended, when I attended my first home birth, I really saw a difference between both in our home and both in, in the hospital system. And it wasn't till a couple of years ago, I think we're going on about two and a half, almost three years ago, I made the conscious decision not to attend any more hospital births. Um, I just couldn't do it for myself or for the women that I was supporting because I really did feel deep down in my bones that when I was attending hospital births, I was literally taking the hands of women and walking them into some sort of trauma that was going to be inflicted on them. And I just couldn't do that anymore. So I now attend home births and actually predominantly more free births. But yeah, it blew me away. The difference in both in a home and in a hospital that really set it apart for me. I just thought, wow, this, there's just no comparison. So, and here we are today. I've done quite a bit of learning from Jane Hardwick Collings Dr. Danielle Arabina, and I've definitely taken aspects of those learnings and teachings and use that in the work that I do. But I do have to say that my biggest teachers are the families that I walk beside. So mm. the families that I walk beside, I learn something from every single family, and then I take that on to the next family. And that's like the community learning. Yes. Like that's, exactly. not, the, that's not the sitting in a classroom kind of learning. And that's the real world out there. I That's love the real world. It is. And okay. I, such a beautiful transition. It's funny, actually, my birth photographer, you might, you might know of, and very grateful. She only lives like a six minute drive from me. So it's like perfectly aligned for her. as She's coming back out of her own very long postpartum, you know, mm. practice of, you know, being with family as opposed to birthing, photographing births. She was also the same, just letting you know, I don't do hospital births. And I was like, okay, well, that's where we're aligned there. This is great. So yeah, I love that you've set your boundaries there. And then that obviously calls in the women and the, the families and the couples who want that type of support. And that's who you are and that's what you do, which is so beautiful. Absolutely. There's a big question on a lot of people's minds, I feel, because where we, okay. So I've just been to Melbourne. Yep. I'm back from Melbourne. The birthing spaces in different pockets of Australia are very different. 
where we live on the coasts of Queensland, yes. different coast, but the coast of Queensland, I feel like there's quite a growing birth space for home births. Mm. And I know many people who have birthed at home who live, you know, in my areas of where I've grown up. And I'm sure that's the same for you, you know, up, you know, Brisbane to sunny coast area. Whereas in different parts of Australia, they're like, I don't know anybody who's home birth. Like, really? That's a really, that's rogue, rogue of you. Wow. <laughs> Is that because the, you know, I, I, I could joke too much, but I won't. So let's talk about what is the difference between a free birth and a home birth because free births are at home too, right? Yes, they are. That's the big question a lot of people like, huh, what's the difference? So what is the difference between a free birth and a home birth? So the difference between a free birth and a home birth is that a home birth has a medical person in attendance, so a midwife, generally speaking, so a privately practising midwife. If you have a privately practising midwife at your home while you birth, you're having a home birth. Whereas free birth, there is no medical, like, person in attendance. So I myself as a birth keeper, I don't perform any medical procedures. I don't carry any medical equipment. I don't offer any medical advice. Nothing like that is attached to the support that I offer. So that is the difference there. Big difference too, because I had a, I had a, a conversation with a client yesterday. She lives in the, in the States. She's a preconception client and a big part of, I believe, preconception care is let's sort out all of these potential fears or confusions before we enter the the space of like, fuck, I'm pregnant. Now what do I do? You know, like yes. that helps, I believe, call in the, you know, the spirit of the baby and prepare the the relationship, you know, for support at birth and desires for the birth that you envisage, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like the same question about like, well, what's the difference between a doula and a midwife? And then what's the difference between a midwife and an obstetrician? And I think there's lots of big differences between them, but a lot of people are very confused about like, well, what are the differences? And I love that you mentioned that because, you know, one is more medically trained and one is not medically trained. And that is the big difference between free birthing versus mm-hmm. home birthing. Yes, absolutely. And birth keepers are not registered or linked to any system. So we're not registered with APRA, neither are doulas. And I just want to say that, we don't want to be. I know that there will be some doulas who say, yes, we need to be. I believe it's very dangerous when we get into that space of becoming registered with APRA because then we're linked and we're bound and we're restricted with what we can and can't do. So I know that there's sort of whispers of it starting to happen or possibly going to happen. And I'll be speaking very loudly about it if that does happen or just going underground, whatever, you know. So, but yeah. He says you can't do both. Yeah, right. Fingers and all the pies. (laughs) Um, No, that's wonderful. Thank you. And it's interesting too because a lot of people, okay, funny story. So my partner, Brenton, we had been to, so we have a home birth midwife. So we're home birthing. We're not free birthing. And that was a decision um, that we made as a couple. It wasn't if I was just birthing on my own in the sense of like I didn't have a partner and I was just like what we are doing now would be a little bit different, but I also feel really comfortable with what we're doing now, like completely trust that process. And it's funny, I think we've been to like our third 
antenatal meeting. And he's like, so do I get a midwife? I mm-hmm. said, babe, we've hired the fucking midwife for you. The midwife is for you. Like <laughs> the midwife is for you, right? Like you're my birth team and the midwife yeah. is for you. Like that's how I, you know, <laughs> you know, see birth at, you know, with, with midwives. And we had a good chuckle about that. He's like, really? I said, yes, babe, the midwife is for you. <laughs> and I think that also is a great, you know, segue into like setting up a home birth space, regardless whether that's a free birth or a home birth, but setting up a space that is really equal to the couple, if the, if a couple's involved or the or the an entire family's involved, in fact, you know, it could be multiple kids already and then, you know, them also being present. Um, but setting up the vision of what that actually is going to look like when you are pregnant so that you know that you work together as a team as opposed to working against each other. So what is it that you see or ha- I think a better question is what have, what have you seen in the past around this? Because I know you work with very selected people now. That kind of weeds out the people that you wouldn't want to work with normally or have to do the extra education on. Yeah. But when it comes to envisaging birth, what the birth person, so, you know, if they identify as a woman or those birthing the baby and then the partner want mm-hmm. can be very different sometimes. So what have you experienced around that? I've definitely, I I just want to bring it back to your, I'm going to bring it back to your um, scenario. And it is great that you're both on that same level. If you felt really called to free birth and were really, really felt this resistance to having a midwife there, but you still went along with it and did it for your partner, that could create uh, quite a bit of turmoil, not only in your relationship, but in the birth space. So in the energy, because if you, if there's this true resistance, you're listening to baby, you're listening to your body and going, no, I don't want the midwife there, but I'm going to do it for you, but I'm going to do it for you. That can actually cause some, yeah, turmoil energy in the birth space as well, because what comes up then is it really highlights a lack of trust in the relationship between the two. Whereas from what I've heard you you are okay with having a midwife there and it sounds like you've creating that beautiful relationship so you're feeling good if you were having any red flags come up I would hope that you're going to voice those to your partner and go mm, things aren't feeling good and from the sounds of it I I gauge that your relationship is really built on communication and that you would do that definitely I have seen some couples that go do exactly that so the mum will be feeling a big pull to do it a certain way but then goes along with how her partner wants to do it. And what I've seen is it actually, not intentionally, but definitely deviate from how the birth was meant to unravel. And that can usually lead to some trauma involved for mum, definitely, and relationship problems after because the trust conflict conflict is definitely there afterwards for sure. I've definitely seen that. So that's where you need to come. And it's all well and good to come to like a compromise. But when we're talking about birth, if you, if, if the woman's got these feelings of this is how I want to birth, this is how I want to birth. And they're really, really strong. And she goes against those that can really be quite negative for her. And it's going to be her having to deal with that and process that and work through that. And the partner's fine because he's like, I'm feeling good. I don't know what you're talking about. Definitely have seen that before. And 
I hear about that in a lot of the prep work that I do with clients in preparing, you know, okay, well, what is the birth space going to look like? And do you have questions about that? And what are the differences? And a lot of them can start on very different pages. And I will be really open in saying that Brenton and I started on a very different page to begin with, you know, mm-hmm. not to categorize people, but he's a country kid. Yep. He graduated school, went straight to the military, you know, went to two wars, like, you know, good, good citizen of Australia and, you know, falls under the category at that stage of his life of just doing what everyone else did, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I think that he hasn't known of anyone ever in his life to have had a home birth as opposed to a hospital birth, regardless of the type of care. Like, let's just talk about the location and environment first. And I think because we discussed this topic, you know, we've been together for two and a half years. So a good two years before or a year and a half at least before we conceived that we already had that conversation out of the, like that was out of the way. So it wasn't something that I was emotionally feeling and holding onto during my pregnancy. And so that was what I considered part of preconception care. Absolutely. Right. And for him, it really was just a demonstration of, okay, well, you can't do this. I have to do this. Mm. You need to become to be able to do what you need to do in this birth space. And I was going through my own journey of what, who do I need to become to go through what I need to go through in the birth space, two separate journeys. And then we come together and then ultimately we've had a a journey together. And it's really highlighted that nothing is permanent and everything is open for evolvement, you know? And I, I think a lot of clients like, well, I couldn't just tell my partner that I just want it this way. I'm like, I think good reflective questions and mm. you know, having open conversations, not under the heat of the moment, are really yes. important around that. Really important. And really diving in. Like if a partner is like, I'm not too sure about that, that scares me, not leaving it there. Like asking, okay, so what about birthing at home scares you? What about birthing at home? Where is this coming from? Is it yours or is it some conditioning that you've actually, you know, found yourself within? Is it coming from your own birth story? Like how were you birthed? So really asking those questions because a lot of men will just say, no, nah, that's not happening. I've got fear around that, not doing that. So diving in and having the conversations. And if they're not coming up and your partner's not receptive, that's a relationship thing. Like mm-hmm. that's a big thing to have a look at anyway. That's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Really is. You know, and I think also on that topic before we talk about like preparation and all of the bits Mm. and pieces, because I guess this is part of preparation, like let's face it, is that it's important to understand that you can have very different fears. So my fear of what might arise for me in the home birth could be completely different. And so we talked about this before conceiving and one of the fears that was coming up for Brenton was like, well, you could die giving birth. Mm, you know, yeah. he doesn't know anyone that that's happened to, but he's like, you could die giving birth. Like, I don't know how to f- save you in that moment. Like I like I know CPR, but like I can't save you in that moment. So that was a big fear for him. But I had not, that thought had not even crossed my mind. Yeah. And so it's okay that we can have different, fears because we have different pasts, we have different histories, we've had different personal experiences that bring us to where we are today. But can we learn about those with each other from each other? Absolutely. I think for men, and I'd love to hear your outlook on this too, 
is that birth is very helpless for them. You know, I'm like, babe, you're not the one pushing the baby out. You're urethra, you know, like that little <laughs> hole thing at the end of your penis. Like it's that's what that's the size of my cervix right now. All right. So and when I said that to Brendan, he was like, wow, that really puts it into perspective. I said, yeah, it does. So where would you feel comfortable doing that? Mm-hmm. And so just having those joking, like we have a yes. very jokey kind of relationship. So experience and discussion, but really seeing him that he has fears and that he's going to be the one that's really hopeless and helpless. Hence why he asked, well, do I get a birth support person for me? And that's because he, I know he's going to really need support too. Because he's he loves helping and fixing like all men do, right? Or most men. Yeah. But he can't do anything for him. So he has to practice surrendering that too. So do you want to speak to that in the sense of, well, there's lots that comes up for men and the preparation if, you know, in hetero couples for men to prepare for the birth space. And even though the woman's just thinking about her and the baby and all the things for her, ultimately he's the one that's going to know how to support you the most because he knows you the most out of everyone in the birth team. So like, what does that look like when they're on a completely different page with fear or thoughts? Yeah. I I love this question because you're so right. Like generally speaking, men, the masculine, they want to protect and they want to save and that's their role in the relationship. When it comes to birth, they can't do that because there's nothing to one save you from. They can protect. They can't protect you from what you're about to move through and what you need to move through because you have to move through that. But they can protect the space. They can set the space up because it is a ceremony. So set it up like a ceremony and protect that boundary of that ceremony. And not just during the birth, but also you know, in those later weeks as you are moving closer and closer to the birth portal, they can protect the boundaries of your sacred space. So energetically put up the boundaries, the text messages that are coming through, any phone calls. If you get to a point where you're like, I can't deal with this, they can step in and go, I can. Let me do that. I'm going to do that. So that's really bringing in the masculine for that. And also in postpartum, protecting the boundaries, keeping you safe then. But in regards to birth, the partner's work is to actually surrender to witnessing their partner be decimated by the flames of birth. They actually All I can do is laugh because this is so, like those words are so true. Like there's probably no better words to describe it's that. It's true. It's true. And when you witness undisturbed birth, you can see the flames that a woman is walking through. She has to walk through these flames to receive her baby. And in those flames, she's going to be decimated. She's going to receive her baby and then say goodbye to her former self. So she does all that in these flames, but she's going to be burnt. She's going to be decimated. So everyone else's role around her, especially her partner, is to be able to sit solid and allow those flames to wash over them, but not penetrate or touch them. Mm. Feel the flames, feel the uncomfortableness and let it wash over you. Don't allow the uncomfortableness to make you reach your hand in and go, I can, this feels really uncomfortable for me. So I'm going to pull you out of what you're, what's happening right now. Cause I can't handle it. No, you ne- they need to be able to regulate themselves. So have some practices to regulate themselves. And sometimes for men, to be honest, it is removing themselves from the space. So if you're both in at home, so great because they've got that option to go outside and ground bare feet on the ground 
sunshine, if it's during the day, moonlight, if it's at nighttime. Ground, center yourself, do something to bring yourself back and understand that what she's going through is what she needs to go through. She does not need saving. But the masculine role is really important in the birth space. It can definitely work. In saying that, though, I have absolutely attended births where the partner hasn't been there and it's been perfect. That's been exactly what that couple needed and they came together afterwards and it was an explosion of love. I think there's a lot of pressure on men and partners to be in the birth space and that's a conversation that can be had as well. If there's conflict coming up during pregnancy around what's happening, have that tough kind of actually do you really want to be there? Because for some men, they don't really want to be there, but they feel like they have to be. Mm. And for some women, they don't want their partner there, but they feel like they have to let them be there. And you don't. And it can work beautifully the other way. Yeah. I love that. And I can definitely see there's definitely men who would be better not present. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. I should check in with Brendan. I'm pretty sure he wants to be there. but Yeah, I, he wants to be there. It definitely sounds like he wants to be there and he's thinking about the support that he needs. So yeah. that's great. If he's got a birth support person there for him, if he's feeling a little bit wobbly, he can look at them and either get reassurance or look at them and go, I actually need to just leave for a minute to just recenter myself and come back. Mm, self-regulation, I think, is really big. Uh, it's big. Huge. And I think often, you know, like not that I've birthed yet, right? So like I'm yet to be. Birth, like- birth. Things, oh, definitely, but not in the fiery portal of orgasmic birth. I think in that process, particularly the 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 man, if the man chooses to be present with the birth, has an option of being in the portal bubble. Mm-hmm. They can get sucked into the energetic bubble that the woman is transitioning through, or they can be on the outside. And I think. In, you know, for me in preparation, I know that like B and I have discussed this is that if he wants to be in the portal, he needs to be in the fucking portal. Not like, mm-hmm. I like you. I don't like you. I like you. I don't like you. It's kind of like that dancing in between. It's like, no, no, no. Like, you get to choose. And something that I had a beautiful discussion with a male friend of mine who just had their second son is that having their second, he didn't get to do that like he did in the first. Mm. And so the first is always the first of everything. And so if you want that opportunity, then now's the time to take the opportunity because next time you'll be holding space for me and another person. Yes. So it's it's in, it's an interesting kind of conversation to have. Yeah, definitely. And I think for a lot of people with their first birth, if it's in a hospital, men are really every single day in the hospital birth space being demasculinated. Demasculinated. I think that's a word, but you know what I mean. It's being taken away from them. Yeah, because they're pretty much pushed to the side and just told to witness what has been done to the woman who they feel wanting to protect and save, but they can't, and they're pushed to the side and told nothing and just basically made to witness what is being done to her. And so mm-hmm. that's what happens. So that's a lot of like if this is a if this was a second birth, I'd be looking at any birth trauma that sits with the man because there are so many men walking around with PTSD from births that they've witnessed and they don't have a space to talk about it. They don't have a space to move through it. So they take it into the next birth. And that's usually where their resistance to home birth sits because they have that fear from what they've witnessed previously. Powerful. Yeah. But when we talk about physiological birth, 
they're just like, oh, yeah, I can see now what was taken from us in our first birth. I'm like, yes. Like, and why would you want to go back there? Because what you witnessed had nothing to do with birth. It had everything to do with what was done to her while she was giving birth. So it's not actually the act of giving birth that's created that trauma. It was what was done to her. Mm. Mic drop. (laughs) Throw that in there too. Once you can see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, it's like me when I educate on the menstrual cycle in schools. The boys ask way more questions than the girls. And I think in birth, if not just in the birth, but in the space of preparation for birth and planning for birth is if men are given the opportunity to ask the questions and the woman's more okay or potentially more in tune with herself that she feels the process feels great, that it gives them the space to to fill the silence and to fill the gap of, oh, I've got this question, I want to ask this and this is coming up for me. And, you know, when Brenton asks me a question, even though I might know the answer to it, I'll say that's a great question for the midwife. You know, because I don't want to be the one telling him, you know, I want him to learn and him to go through his own process and journey. And so it's really, yeah, it's, I wanted to have that conversation about men in the birth space, because when people listen to hopefully to this podcast series or are preparing for pregnancy, mostly it's just the women are doing all the things. Yeah. And the man just turns up for the show, so to speak. Now that's a terrible analogy, Gemma. But you know <laughs> and that's really got to stop. Because women are doing enough by growing a human being. So, you know, I see a lot of times in these groups and stuff of women posting, how can I convince my partner to, you know, go along with a home birth? How can I, they've got these worries and fears, how can I alleviate that for them? That's not your work to do. That's their work to do. We can guide them and we can sort of point them in the right direction. But it's not for us to sit down and present a, you know, a a PowerPoint presentation for them about the pros and cons of home birthing. That's not our work to do. That's Mm -hmm. their work to do. And if they're really in it and they're sort of like, oh, okay, you want a home birth? All right, I've got some things, wobbly things coming up for me, but all right, we're going to do it and I'm going to work on this. I'm going to, you know, address these things. I'm going to do that. And that's what we need men to do. It takes a conscious man to do that. And we need to raise men to be conscious men. Interesting when you say that, we're going so off topic, but I think this is great. (laughs) Interesting when you say that, I hear the same thing. So the same process in a different experience. So when I'm working with um, women in natural contraception and natural fertility work, not around pregnancy or trying to conceive, just transitioning to be your natural, a form of natural contraception and use natural contraception tools and techniques to have a synthetic hormone-free cycle, the amount of men are like, oh, how do I convince my partner that I can come off the pill? Or how do I convince my partner that, you know, he doesn't have to have a vasectomy? Or how do I, like, I don't think men need to have vasectomies and I don't think women need to be on the hormonal birth control. So what's the answer? The answer is like, get to know both of your bodies and how you connect in that. And I might be like out of line here or, you know, maybe pre-casting way, way too much here. But I really think, If you are a couple and let's just say you're in your 20s and you're so far away from having kids, but you can come together and you can learn this process of natural contraception, natural fertility as a team because it takes two to tango, that is technically birth prep. Yes, absolutely it is. It's showing that like 
hey, we're in this together. And while we might not want the same thing initially, why can't we both learn about it and then come to a conclusion at the end? Yes. Together, as opposed to like be on different teams. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, we could talk about that forever, but that's just my little penny thought. Oh, I absolutely agree. For sure. That's birth prep, you know, and we've, you can't have a woman on one path and then the man here and the woman saying, come on, join me. And he's just like hovering down here. They have to go together. So Mm -hmm. learning about your bodies together, absolutely preconception is birth prep. Totally. And I love to say to clients that you're just planting seeds, you know, everywhere you're just planting a little seed. Sometimes they sprout, sometimes they fall on dry ground and they don't sprout. You're just planting little seeds and men are intelligent. They will do their own inquisitive exploration if it's something they feel drawn to as opposed to telling them because if you tell them that's not going to get you anywhere good. It's not going to get you anywhere. Absolutely not. Just barking up the wrong tree I think is the Aussie saying for that. Absolutely. So let's talk about birth prep in other ways. So we've talked about it in the sense of maybe birth prep as a couple birth prep when it comes to conversations about the type of birth you like to envisage individually and then maybe as a couple, what are some other really fantastic things as a birth keeper you recommend couples do and individuals do for birth prep? So I don't know if this is sort of tail ending on something I spoke about before, but definitely having a look at any conditioning that's sitting deep with us around birth, around postpartum as well, how it can look. I feel like there's a lot of conditioning for us around the pain associated with labour and birth, Yes, how we're supposed to avoid it, and that comes through generally in life, right? So our periods numb it out, don't feel it, you know, it's not supposed to feel like that. Birth is not supposed to feel like that. Headache, take a painkiller. Right, numb it. You don't have to feel it. You'll feel fine. No, this is something you actually have to move through. So deconditioning ourselves from everything that we've been been absorbed around birth. So that includes movies that we've we've watched. Every single movie has the woman on her back on a stretcher screaming as she goes into into the emergency when her waters are released. Never seen a movie where there's a home birth, beautiful, calm home birth, or a woman just bursts at home, unless it's a documentary. Also never also never seen a woman in a movie go into labor without her waters breaking. Yet. Right. And it's always so dramatic and this big explosion. I've never seen that happen. <laughs> Brenton's like, so do we call you when the waters break? I said, babe, I could be in f- like second stage labor and the wa- waters haven't broken it. He's like, what? Yeah. I was like, yeah, things are quite different to the way that they're marketed in the world out there. <laughs> So different. So having a look at that, having a look at both of your birth stories and seeing if any of the conditioning sits there as well. Mm. Um, For women, I believe definitely the birth prep lies in listening to the little messages that your baby is sending you. So what happens is for women, any traumas that we don't address, any upheavals that we don't address get pushed down into our womb and they sit there heavy and I have this very vivid picture in my mind of and I'll describe it for you of if you can imagine like a little creek bed with sediment and rocks at the bottom of it really shallow like what you see in a documentary and usually there's like salmon swimming around 
really shallow and your baby's there just above the rocks, just swimming around. And what happens is your baby will actually flick up the things, so the rocks and sediment, which represent the trauma and upheavals and anything that it wants you to have a look at. It will disturb those and flick them up and go, okay, this one, yeah, mum, you need to sort this out and flicks it up and you'll get these little messages. Only if we don't have any distractions around us, and I'll talk about that in a minute, and the messages can just come like you could be doing the dishes and then think about something that happened years ago. Okay, that that's your birth prep. That's stuff that you need to work through because what your baby is doing is they're actually flicking this stuff up and saying, Mum, you need to work on this because I don't want to birth through this and I don't want that to become part of my imprint is what they're saying. And what happens if women have distractions, which can look like um, all the tests, all the scans, all the appointments at the hospital, all of this, all of that, I've got to do this course, I've got to do this workshop, I've got to learn how to birth, they're all distractions because you already know how to give birth. So listening to these messages that your baby flicks up, that's the birth prep so that you can clear your womb and your baby can come through with a clear imprint. That's the work for women to do. And it's big. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. It's a lot. <laughs> let's, let's just say it's a lot. And that's one of the reasons why I did um, the Four Seasons Journey with Jane. I knew through my previous pregnancy experience followed by termination that I had to address some things that had arised in that birth, even though it wasn't the birth of a live child, there was still a birthing. Every pregnancy ends in a birth. And I was very aware that I was like, okay, I need to clean this shit show up before I move into the next shit show, you know, because there's, there's always more shit shows to come. And I think this is such beautiful work because it's very vulnerable and challenging work, but, you know, anything that you aren't ready to face, you will be faced with, I guess is a great way to say it. And I love that you mentioned like, there are so many distractions and we talked before we hit record that everything's optional. Everything is optional. Right. Everything. And no is a complete sentence. So if you're offered something, sometimes an (laughs) you can just say no, you don't have to sort of think, oh, I need to give them an excuse or a reason because that's falling into the good girl. Right. And we're getting rid of her right now. And no is a complete sentence. No. No, I love it. And no. I love I love how you said that with the distractions, you know, it comes and a way that you end up learning in your mind that you think you need to do it or something else that's going wrong or something, you know, that's occurring in this way. Show me a giraffe that has learned all the ways to birth and then shows up at its birth to birth the baby giraffe, <laughs> but then doesn't know how to birth the giraffe. Exactly. And so we are animals and, you know, we naturally know how to do it, even though we don't have the the knowledge in your mind, the knowing is the know in you, you you know it in you. you. I think this is why I love that I'm 37 and then I'm birthing at 37 because and if I was 24, this would not have been me, you know, and that's the hindsight <laughs> of like, oh, well, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. But I think it's um it's a great reminder for everyone is that, you know, our bodies are actually designed to do this. Like our bodies are designed to menstruate. Our bodies are designed to ovulate. Our bodies are designed to have a healthy cycle length, a healthy luteal phase. When that doesn't occur, then there's something interfering yes. and with birth it's like our bodies know and I for some really weird 
reason. This is pretty much probably my only experience in life where I like, I'm okay not knowing because mm-hmm. normally I'm like, I need to know this and I need to know this and I've got to play this. And but I'm, I really feel so in the feminine with it that I'm okay. I don't need to know. I think the only thing I wanted to know was where is the placenta? And that's why I did the scan Thanks. and Brendan loved it because he got to see all the things. It's like, oh my God, it has lungs and it has <laughs> a brain. And like, so that was really cool. And I said to, I said to Ryan, actually, a friend of ours yesterday, I was like, holy fuck, that's what my body's been doing. All of those vertebrae, it's got healthy vertebrae. He's a guy race. Like he's got healthy vertebrae. Like, don't you worry about this baby. <laughs> and just, you know, that was really wow for me. But at the same time, that was an election. I elected to do that. Exactly. And you're allowed to do that, right? Without any other interference, any other way. So if all you wanted to have a look at was the placenta, and I don't know how your ultrasound went, but you can absolutely just say to the sonographer, I just want to check where the placenta is. That's all I want. That's all I want. As soon as you see that, if they don't stop, you can actually move their hand and get up and go you're allowed to do that you're allowed to do whatever feels right for you and not have to be told otherwise mm. yeah. very empowering so like yeah as women because as little girls we're sort of taught and trained not to do that you know don't upset anyone be the good girl no it changes in birth and this is your you're moving from maiden into mother so this is taking that you know that powerful mother bear sort of feeling and knowing you're you're in that now so you're mm. protecting this and you're doing what feels right i feel like i want to just have one ultrasound to check whether the placenta is perfect awesome yeah. you get to do that and I can't remember whether I said this before we hit record or before or since recording is that even just having a pregnancy test is optional. Yes. And that for me, Michelle, was such a funny thing because, you know, I'm fortunate that I have a healthy cycle and that I've worked really hard to overcome PCOS, move through a termination to have a healthy cycle and a healthy ovulation. Brendan has been working on his own health and improving his fertility so that we could have, you know, a conception when we planned or when we, when I say planned, like when we had sex, so like when we yes. intended for that to occur and grateful that that happened for us. Cause I know it doesn't happen for many people and it can be very challenging, but prior education like is a huge component to that. And it's interesting because when we think about that process, oh my God, I just lost my train of thought. I think I've got mom, I've, I've definitely just got mum brain running. <laughs> Um, but when we think about that, the prior learning, when we look at the age bracket too, I think like we're both, like I'm considered what would be called in the medical world, a geriatric mother. You are. You know, I am a geriatric Very mother. Very dangerous, Gemma. <laughs> that would have been relevant in 1920 yeah. when the life expectancy of women was like 55. Today, those, I, I could rant on that for a long time, but I don't need to. But when it comes to, you know, conception is when you understand your bodies, both of your bodies, and that both of those things contribute, you know, right? And then you have a knowing. So when I moved through knowing that we had attempted conception, knowing my cycle so well, and then being like, oh, my period hasn't arrived. Having my best friend message me from overseas, being like, have you got your period yet? Have you got your period yet? Have you got your period yet? Because she also knows. (laughs) And, And then knowing that like, okay, I can see that my 
cervix is still high. My cervix isn't moving lower to menstruate. I can see that I have higher basal body temperature than what I would normally at this tail end of a cycle, if it was to be a tail end of a cycle. And I kind of just knew. And so I chose not to do a pregnancy test. However, I was also conflicted with the like, but everybody does a pregnancy test. That's and what I'm supposed to do. I was like, oh, and so, yeah, Brenton said to me, like, have you done a pregnancy test? I said, no, do I need to? He goes, well, I don't know. I said, well, I think I'm pregnant. He goes, I know you're pregnant. Mm. I was like, Mr. Mr. Brag at all one hit wonder is all he wanted and all <laughs> I wanted to do was prove him fucking wrong is all I wanted to do. I'd be like, nope, sorry, we're not pregnant this time. And then like joke for two weeks and not tell him and then actually tell him we're pregnant because it doesn't happen for everybody like that. And I chose not to do that. But for a lot of people, they're like, well, when did you find out you were pregnant? Mm-hmm. When did you do the test? I'm like, well, I didn't do a test and I knew straight away. And so exactly. it's just changing the paradigm that it's possible to do things in a different way if that's what you feel called to do. Yes. Sorry. You know, there's no wrong or right. It's just what is for you and that every experience provides a learning opportunity for a future learning experience. Absolutely. And we're so conditioned to pee on a stick and then go see a doctor. Like, what for? You're not sick. You're pregnant, but you're not sick because pregnancy and birth is not a medical event or procedure so yeah it just blows my mind because then they're you know once you go to a doctor then they will you know usually scold you if you're thinking about birthing at home because it blows their mind and they have no concept of that so then they'll refer you to a hospital or something like that and then you're in the system and you'll get the incessant phone calls and stuff like that but you can actually like you not do a pregnancy test, continue on with your days. And what's going to happen is your baby's going to grow. You're going to nurture your baby. You're going to feel the signs, see the signs. You're going to continue growing this baby. And when this baby's ready and your body's ready, you'll go into labor and give birth. So you could literally sit back and do nothing. Mm. Your body will just do it all. And you'll get the signs and you'll get the messages of the work that needs to be done or any physical nourishment, extra nourishment that you need, listening to the signs. We need to come back to the simplicity of pregnancy and birth because it can be simple. So empowering. And that is the ultimate trust. You know, like that's the ultimate trust. And I just want to preface for everyone who's listening to this being like, oh, that's really great that Gemma could do that straight away. My first pregnancy was very different. You know, it was an unplanned pregnancy. It was in a not a fantastic or healthy relationship situation. This was lots of things that led to why I chose to terminate. But when I did the pregnancy test, which I was actually at Amber's house, I had to leave quickly because she had other people who arrived at the same time I'd done the test. And so I quickly left literally through the back door, like literally just left through the back door. And I was like, what the fuck do I do? I can't call her. She's got friends over for breakfast now. I was like, what the fuck do I do? And I literally went to the doctor on a Sunday morning, like a bulk bill, 24-hour doctor's place, because I was like, fuck, what do I do? Like, this wasn't part of the plan. And, oh, my God, I've just, you know, I'm not even with the person anymore. And i just sharing this because I think whilst it might sound great the way that I've adapted to things, that it wasn't, I learned second time around from that first experience. And I had another friend who I had 
you know, shared that I was pregnant with. And she was like, so why did you go to the doctor? I was like, I don't know. I just didn't know what else to do. Like everyone just goes to the doctor, don't they? You know? And I fell into that category of not trusting the situation. So Mm. from that, I learned trust of the situation. So I just wanted to share that with everyone because, you know, it's one thing to look up and be like, oh, it's so nice that you could do that. Like I could never do that. I'm only able to do that because I didn't do it the first time. I think, you know, that time I did, I went and had three scans in the first eight weeks and I went and got blood tests every three days to see if my HCG levels were increasing. So a very different experience. And so that taught me a lot, which then birthed me to become the mother I needed to be for this pregnancy. Exactly. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that. Exactly. No, I love that you shared that because they're, you know, everyone's journey and story is different and it always leads to the next mm, journey. It really does. Yeah, definitely. Oh, we could just talk forever. I know. Um, I'd love to ask a couple of final little questions before we wrap up because we will yes. run out of time, unfortunately. Yes. There, if only this was two-hour podcast episode for my <laughs> show. Um, when it comes to like physically preparing the environment and the space at home, are there any go-to points or tips that are really important to do so? So for labour and birth, definitely if you envision a cave, like what animals do, they take themselves away to a dark, safe place to protect themselves from predators. That's what women do as well. So in the space, making sure that you've got access to block out curtains or blinds to make the space really cave-like, like a big hug, but really safe just in case it does happen during the day so there's not bright light coming through. Also, keeping the space fresh. So I always encourage people, like if labour is sort of, you know, going along for a couple of days, freshen up the space, open up the windows, invite the air to flow everything through and to cleanse the energy in the space. But definitely just having that feeling of safety. You have to feel safe in order to birth optimally. Mm, I like that. Love the cat analogy, by the way. I love using that one too. Yeah. The, the whole, the midwife is the woman in the corner knitting, facing the opposite way and calls upon you when you need her. And or in the other room, she doesn't actually have to be in the room with, she totally. can be listening. Yep. Yep. Totally. And be the cat in the cupboard far away from everybody else. If, you know, if that's what you feel like doing, then that's Absolutely. what you do crawl under the stairs if you need to. That's fine. Go where you need to go outside if you need to do what you need to do. Yeah. Mm, I love that because I think, you know, it can be quite daunting being like, oh, fuck, I've never planned a thing. It's like planning your first wedding. Of course, you've never planned a wedding before. That's why people hire wedding planners. Right. Everybody. But but when you're you're preparing and planning for a home birth and then preparing for that physically, you know, okay, not with your body, but energetically and, and in the environment of the home space is that, yeah, you've never done that before. So getting some support or asking other people who you know who have done a similar thing I think is helpful. Any other kind of tips you want to add to that? So in terms of practical kind of things, the things that I recommend for gathering for a home birth. What are the essentials like you must have versus? (laughs) Well, like we said before, honestly, you could have none of the things. And if no you towels, are going no to lay, yep, no towels, no nothing, no birth pool, and you will labor and birth as intended. You just will, and you'll find the things that you need. But generally speaking, I recommend towels. 
honestly around 15 towels. They don't always all get used. Sometimes you need more, but towels, puppy pads, and two buckets, one for spew and one for poo. Brandon's most looking forward to the sieve of the poo in the poo. Oh, the sieve, yes, the little fishnet, the gold. Yeah. gold. yeah, it's awesome. But also a birth pool is not, you don't have to have a birth pool. Some women don't birth in the pool. So their baby wants to be born on the land. You'll be guided by your baby. But definitely they're just the three things. And even those three things that I mentioned are not essential to birthing at home. You could have, you don't have to have anything prepared and you can birth optimally wherever your baby chooses to, as long as you're guided by your baby. It's very empowering knowing that too, like very, very empowering because it's, you know, in a world of consumerism where we think we need all the things, it's the Mm -hmm. same with the consumerism of like preparing to have the baby. I need to have this outfit. I need to have this bed and this cot and this rocker and this, like there's a lot. And, you know, being the opposite and being minimalism or a minimalist, is very challenging when, you know, it's Mm. such a heavily marketed industry. And I've said this since I was, was I 17 when I went to fashion school is that the three, my teacher, I'll never forget it. My teacher said to me, the three industries you want to be in Gemma are births, deaths, and marriages. People are always going to get married. People are always going to die. People are always going to have babies. And it's true. Like, of course, like people, like that industry is not going to die around birth. Absolutely. And in saying that for your baby, your baby doesn't need anything but you and Brenton and for you guys to be well and supported and loved. Mm-hmm. The cups that need to be filled are yours. So oh, then you can be there for your baby. Oh, so much juice in that, Michelle. Thank you. This has been so wonderful. How can everyone connect with you and learn more about what you do and all the things that you share? You've got a great Instagram. Yeah. yeah how can they connect with you? Where can they yeah. find you? I do love being on Instagram. So my handle is my name, so Michelle Palacia. And I do have a website as well, michellepalacia.com. If you do want to reach me, I think I've got a link tree and there's a few different links in my Instagram where you can reach me. So, but Instagram's always the best option. I love it. Unless she's birthing and she's yeah. and she's in the cave for a few days, the portal. So you'll hear from me at some stage. <laughs> no, this has been amazing. Thank you. I'm going to include all of those notes in our show notes online so people can find you very easily. Now let's wrap it up with a final question I wanted to ask you. This is going to be a big one for you because you're going to be like, that. there's no one thing, Gemma. Like what is one thing you wish you had have known before entering birth work? One thing that I had have known is that it honestly just happens. It honestly just happens. Mm. And it doesn't even need me to be there for it to happen. Like, yeah, it just happens. The baby's going to come out at some stage. And usually when it's left to just happen, it happens just beautifully and magically and as it's meant to. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and having beautiful, deep, conscious conversations with me. I'm so grateful and I know all of our listeners are going to love this. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into every episode of the Well Woman Podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. If this episode excited you, please hit follow on Spotify, which means all of my episodes will pop up in your feed weekly so you never miss a weekly drop. I'd love you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts too. 
loved this episode, come and follow me over on Instagram at wellsome underscore Gemily. Say hi and share what you've taken away from this episode with me. Now, is there a bestie, sister, or a friend who you know who might be fed up, frustrated, and confused with their cycles? Are they ready to join you in awakening their cyclical essence too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your socials, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to them. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our cycles. Now, until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.